five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. You might find her in the background of storybooks, but you'll never see the hard, noisy, or greasy work. Duluth trading. So why does she do it? Because no one else can. Here's to those making the magic. Or your merry way. Anyway, that's about Mrs. Claus making it happen. And I wanted a special thanks to my wife, who's made it happen year after year after year for all our kids and all the great things we've had on uh, Christmas. Mrs. Claus, here's to you. Thank you, Duluth Trading. You know, one of the things I like about Tom's stuff is he always has good comments. And that's what I like the best, actually. I like his cartoons, but, you know, it doesn't take a great artist to draw this, Tom. <laughs> he must have been in a hurry. Anyway, this year, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if there's if this is baseline here. You know, this could happen. Could be good. Could be great. Could be, eh, could be terrible. Who the hell knows? Next year, who knows? Yeah, right, exactly. And one of the one of the truths that this gets at is that no one predicts the future. You know, no one does. No one. Uh, what did uh, what did the, you know, one of the great Warren Buffett, one of the great stock or business experts of the world, he said, you know, I would have been just as well off just taking the Dow. <laughs> yeah, and that may work. You know, I, I remember in 2007, everybody saying real estate never goes down in value. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you pick. You know, if you pick the safest route that's always been the safest, you're out of luck. I remember in Downton Abbey when the when the when the patriarch of the family says, "You know, we invested in railroads. What could be safer than railroads?" <laughs> Anything can happen. You never know. Traditional strategic planning is often neither strategic nor much of a plan. It's more like a peace treaty with the future than it is clear marching orders for the troops. And in many cases, it's outdated before the before it's even written okay now uh so tom flips over to richard gold who says this hierarchical top down is more like a dystopian holiday gift dystopian i think means not a good gift not even a good re-gift <laughs> so we i don't use those big words but anyway um 2019 was quickly thrown out the window, uh, trying to react, you know, but the, the fundamentals are still there. As Mark Ritson pointed out early in 2019, you, you know, you, you have to keep the customers happy. You have to listen to the customers. You have to figure out value. And those things are all solid, right? But um, as Assessandro... DeFore put it in the in the Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago. Planning and agility are both necessary. Organizations have to make them work. They have to create a Venn diagram with planning on one side, agility on the other, and a practical, workable sweet spot in the middle. <clears throat> and this should be reconceived as agile planning. P 
planning in the 21st century style should be reconceived as agile planning. So I thought, you know, a lot of times Tom is tipping me off to something I should know about. And so I decided to go looking for agile planning. And before I go into that, I just wanted to mention that Shutterfly is going to install over 60 new HP Indigo presses. And Shutterfly is the is the place where you can upload like a whole batch of holiday photos or wedding photos or something and you can get a book printed or you can get greeting cards printed or you know do a mug or anything you like uh it's an amazing place and they are growing like crazy maybe because the holidays are a time when we think of our friends and family and those we're missing so they're buying lots of presses (laughs) And you know, the funny part about it is I have a bunch of friends who over the years bought a bunch of these Indigo presses, and they couldn't really figure out what to do with them. Shutterfly has figured it out, and that, to me, is uh, both strategic and and agile. But now, let's dig into this concept of agile planning a little bit, because I had really never heard the term agile planning, so I googled agile planning, or on DuckDuckGo, I use that, which is more more agile (laughs) gives me fewer results and better ones and doesn't track me as far as they say who knows if i can believe them so the first thing that that happens in this article it kicks off within 2003 we started looking at the basics of project management practices used in agile methodologies well that tipped me off to say oh there's agile stuff has been around for a while and i've never heard of it sounds good though agile you know flexible and movement and you know kind of like the dance videos that my wife likes so much anyway marked by a ready ability to move with quick easy grace that's not me on the dance floor by the way (laughs) okay that's from Merriam Webster 2009 so we're right at the beginning of the 21st century right but here's the funny part This stuff got thought up in 1980s, and what was the real, what was the real uh, genesis? That's a good word of this agile planning idea. Well, development projects have a history of running over budget. (laughs) Is that true? Oh, brother! You know, we got hired by musician's friend for a six-month project. You know, just help out our IT department build a database so we can pull names because we want to keep mailing these catalogs and. Uh, the IT department takes two weeks a month <clears throat> to do it. So we, you know, gave them an estimate of 25 grand a month, which they said was low. We should have charged more because the IT department was spending more than that uh, to get it done and taking longer. Um, but they gave us the job. They said it's only a six-month project. You know, we're not going to do a big formal contract. Just do it. And you got six weeks to do this. And then I don't think anybody had ever done it and been in the mail in six weeks. But we managed to do it. And, uh, well, two, three, four, five, six years later, we were still doing it. And we probably should have kept doing it. They tested us 11 times against eight different modeling companies. And we won every time. Uh, And the last time was a back test. It wasn't even a real test. And the, the problem with back tests is it ignores the stuff that should be thrown out. It includes the stuff that should be thrown out. And so it looks really great on paper. But as the great uh, Yogi Berra once said, in theory, theory and practice are the same, but in practice they're different. So they always, always run over budget, 
being delivered late or delivering something other than what the customer expects. Now, in many companies, the, the marketing department, we talked about this last week, in many companies, the marketing department is sort of the customer. The marketing comp- department comes in and says, you know, nobody can find the, the right product on our website. Like when Land's End first built their first website back in the day, or their, one of their early versions, they would let you put in your size. And then they would let you, you know, search their site by size. And so you could go to the sale items and you could say, well, what's on sale that's in my size? What a great idea, right? And I think what happened was they were eroding their margin because it was such a great system. And it doesn't happen, it doesn't exist today. Today you can go to the sale items or you can go to the items and you can try to figure out which ones are in sale. Um, but when you click on them and you say, I want to buy that, they'll say, oh, they're not in your size. And it's a very frustrating and stupid process. It's stupid beyond words because I buy the same sizes every time. And in fact, the only times I send products back to Land's End, because they're very good about keeping the sizes the same, is when they change something. Like I bought a, a fancy high-end tea, uh, turtleneck. This is a Land's End turtleneck. I love the Super Tea. That's what I buy. It's cotton and it shrinks. So I buy the large Super Tea, but I bought the better one, the fancier one, because I thought, whoa, I love Land's End. I'll, I'll, I'll get that point, the better one. And if you buy a large in that, it doesn't shrink, and so you need a medium. <laughs> Go figure. But the point is, is that they could be keeping your sizes. They could be keeping your past items. They could be making the process simpler. Do they? No. That should be marketing's job to spec that up. But the problem is, is that marketing doesn't know how to spec things up. So the IT delivers half of what the marketing asks for because they know they're asking for twice what they really want and neither team knows what the other one is about. And that's been the case since the 80s. I've given many talks on this and people come up to me later and said, have you been spying on our conference rooms? No. It's just the way it is. It's because IT is process-oriented. Strategic planning is built, specify, uh, plan it all out, you know, write a spec or write a request, then specify it out, what are all the requirements, and then, you know, write a schedule and a, a job plan and uh, put it all together and out it comes. And that's the way IT works. And then, you know, sign off on it. And by the time they ri- they write it and deliver it, probably there's a whole different marketing team that has a whole different list of other specs. Here you've got Requirements, design, development, test, and deliver. That is exactly the process that I just mentioned to you. This is exactly the way projects are done. And, you know, there's a lot of benefit in it because, like, for example, uh, toll bridges. Let's say we're going to build a toll bridge. We're going to build the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. We're going to charge a toll. How good is that bridge when it's 90% of the way across? How many tolls are you going to get? Zero. Right? Zero. You get zero dollars. Nobody's going across it when it's only 90%. And then 99%. You know, there's just that little there's a little, that, that, that little 10-foot gap at the end. And well, everybody goes in. In the drink. No good. So you have to get to 100%. Some projects are like that, you know. Okay. That's the way traditional planning works. But... A lot of things in life don't work like that. And the reason I like this, we've got plan, probably just assigning probabilities. We've got data-driven decisions. We've got focus on the work and not the worker. 
built-in qu build quality, frequent delivery, frequent feedback loops, define requirements. Okay, this, so this would be where this starts, requirements. I'll go in the pencil. We'll go around. And back again. Okay, now why I like it is because this is direct marketing at its core. This is the scientific method. This is observation. We, observa we have observations of the customer. We have observation of the data. We see things, right? We see things and we come up with hypotheses and we say, hmm, it seems like we could do this order processing better. We have customers complaining that, that we don't use their size. We don't give them items that are just their size. We give them all the other items that they don't even care about. Why do we do that, Land's End? I don't know. You used to not. It was the greatest thing. I, I wrote about it, talked about it, and now you fixed it. Okay, so here, continuous improvement. This is Deming. You know, this is the scientific method. What we do is we check. And, you know, I like the scientific method. We observe, check. We hypothesize. We plan a test. We execute the test. We observe the results. And around we go again. That's why direct marketing is so powerful. Direct marketing is the fundamental agile planning tool where we continuously improve our marketing. It's way better than the current system because over time you get, you move from hypothesis to test results to theory. What is theory? Well, theory is explanation times time. Okay, so let me give you an example. So I was in charge of a catalog. I basically launched a personalized products catalog. Think Shutterfly in the old days. And we had, but we had some really good clients. We had 3M and Caterpillar and J.I. Case and Ford and Pontiac and just a bunch of big companies. And in those days, you know, that industry was fragmented and a lot of little keychains and pens and stuff. There'd be a keychain catalog and a pen catalog and a calendar catalog. And we decided we could pull the whole thing together, but we, we wanted to elevate the industry. So we put our logos of our clients. This was in the day when they were happy to do it. Now there's all kinds of legal issues. They won't let you use it. They won't let you ex display the, the quality of your work on the cover. But anyway... Um, so we put the, the company logos to say, big companies use these products. You know, we thought it was pretty smart. And we did a really beautiful catalog instead of really crummy looking. And I handed it out to friends of mine, because I was really proud of it, who owned businesses. And they looked at the catalog cover and they said, why would I want to buy Miller hats? And I would explain, no, 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 this is, you put your own logo on that. This is just an example. Oh, okay, yeah, we could buy those. Give me this catalog. Well, after you do it about 20 times, or let's say a dozen times, it's called a convenience sample. It's not statistically valid, but it does give you a clue. And you say, gee, maybe people aren't getting what we're doing. And so I went to the creative director and I said, I want to test this. I have a hypothesis that people don't understand our catalog. We need to put some items on the cover that say your imprint here. And in fact, we can test it to see if it works. Well, the guy said, we're not going to do that. You're going to ugly up our beautiful catalog. He was very proud of it, too. We had different philosophies of marketing. Okay? <clears throat> and I said, you're fired. We're going to do the test. 
and I hired a new creative director. And when he came in, and I told him the test, and an art artist, one of the artists, graphic artists, came in and said, "That's going to ugly up the thing." Same pitch. The new creative director said, "Your job is not to to decide what test we run. Your job is to make it as unugly as possible." So we did beautiful logos, and I still have that uh, slides of that of that test. But I was so confident that it would matter. Uh, in fact, the creative director said, "You know, how much do you think it'll it'll win by?" I said, "At least 20%. I know people are not getting what this is." Well, it won by 40% on a 600,000-piece test. What's your confidence interval on a 600,000-piece test? It's a lot, right? At the same time, we did an, we did a two-way test, a four-cell matrix, besides all the lists that we were doing. And we tested paper because I said, you know, people are, you know, this is beautiful, but people think it's high-priced and we're, we're industry-priced. We have, we have as good of prices as anybody. Let's try testing groundwood. We'll save some money if it, if people don't know the difference. You know, I mean, we were on coated coated stock, and it was I don't know 20% less expensive or something to put it on groundwood, uh, and we were up to the circulations where we could do rotogravure and put a lot of ink coverage on it for printers. You'll know what I'm talking about. And uh, so we tested that as well, and guess what? Sales went up 20%. Not only did we save 20% of cost on on the paper. But we also made 20% revenue increase. How's that? And that translates into even more than that in profit. So, what happened after that? What happened in the iteration? Well, because we had a good observation, uh, several of them, we had a good observation, we had a hypothesis. When the test came in as expected, we had an explanation. And so we immediately went to the theory that People didn't understand what our catalog was about, and people didn't, and people thought it was too expensive. And we never looked back. And that was the big turnaround for our book. And that was after two or three years of mailing the other one. Okay? That's the process. That is the process of marketing. And when you have this process in place, and the IT people understand your process, they're not going to give you pushback about how dumb it is. You can test it. Land's End could test it. I'm sure they can. They can have two entirely different paths. That's one of the things about a web. You can take many paths to the center. So thank you, Tom Fishburne, for kicking my head in. And I hope you understood a little more about the strategic planning method. The strategic method is lots of observation, lots of customer contact. Listen to the customer complaints. And then think about how you can test them, and how you can test them big enough that you're going to know for sure. And if you're not using mail, that's the absolute best place to test big. I'm not saying you can't test little. It's okay to test a headline or you know, a creative page. But once you test it little, test it big. I'm John Miglosh. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.